All right, good morning, and welcome to Floods of Justice and Franklin Community Church Sunday edition. We are here on a, a beautiful, well, we're recording this the day before, um, but it is, uh, it's supposed to be a beautiful day. I don't know, what's, what's Sunday supposed to be rain. like? Rain. Rain. Okay, so you're watching this sitting in rain, and we apologize, but uh, it's good to have you here with us. How have you been, Kevin? Oh, I've been doing good, yeah. and been uh, trying not to go too stir-crazy, uh, getting, getting out. Walking a whole lot, so I guess that's a positive of all this. I'm getting a little more exercise than I have in the past, um, but it's been good. I need to put that on my list, exercise. Yeah. Getting fluffy. <laughs> yeah. So the, the plan today, um, we're actually, well, you're launching a, a sermon series. Yeah. Um, so we've got a new direction that we're running with this. Uh, a lot of it is still relevant to the coronavirus and our, our current state of uh, reality and the new normal, um, but I'm excited. I, I got an advanced copy of, uh, <laughs> of the outline for today, so uh, we've, we've really got a great, uh, a great discussion coming. If you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5, and I want to read verse 24, where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev, he is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the coffee house at Second and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. During this time of sheltering in place, Churches have been asking themselves a lot of questions, and, and I've been asking myself this, and when I've talked to other pastors, um, the, you know, everyone is asking these questions, and it's things like, how, how do we do church during this unique time in our history? It's, and the reason I said unique is because it's happened before. It just, ha- it just hasn't happened in our lifetime, and, uh, and so we can learn from the past, but yet at the same time, we have to figure it out on our own as well. So, so what does it mean to be the church during this unique time in our history? And uh, how do we keep people connected uh, while we are apart? And uh, what does it mean to be the church, especially, again, going through this uh, together? And, and what are going to be the, long, the, the long-term repercussions? What's church going to look like once we get back together again? Uh, those are some questions that we've all asked, and they're really, really good questions, and they need to be asked. Um, and so this, this, is, this is an important time in history for the history of the church as a whole, but even for Franklin Community Church you know, our own local expression of the body of Christ, we have to ask ourselves these questions. What will the new normal be, and what will it look like? And so all of this leads uh, to the following question that I want us to consider. Um, what can we do while social distancing? And what I mean by that is as a church and as people who are followers of Jesus, what can we do, what can we be doing uh, during this time of social distancing? Um, and so like all other things, the first place that we need to look to for answers to that question is the Scripture. Um, and so that's kind of where this series comes from. And I've just really entitled the whole series, The One Another Statements in the New Testament. And uh, today is just an introduction. Next week we'll start looking at some of these one another statements. But, uh, but just these one another statements uh, in the New Testament. And so I've thought about this and I've asked these questions and I've prayed and, and I just feel like that I've sensed the Spirit say, that during this time while we are apart from each other, uh, we need to look at and apply the one another statements that are in the New Testament. And so that way when we get back together again and worship corporately, 
uh, this time apart would not have been wasted. Um, you know, we've kind of hopefully be rejuvenated, recharged, and our priorities have been reset, and we see the importance of these one another statements. And so here's a sampling of the one another statements that I want us to study over the next few weeks. Um, love one another. The Bible says that over and over again. Pray for one another. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another. Honor one another. Live at peace with one another. And so we can do all those things, and we can do them really, really well while we are practicing social distance. Those are some things that we can be doing, and there's things we should have been doing all along. Uh, but, um, you know, during this time, let's be intentional about trying these things and putting these into our practices. Uh, and then when we come back together, we will see that we've actually grown spiritually during this time. And so in other words, and here's what I mean by all of this, in other words, social distance doesn't have to mean social alienation. We have to be apart right now, but it doesn't mean that we're separated. Um, there, there are some things that we can do to still, to still stay together. And so uh, during this time, we have to learn to balance social distance with social compassion. And, you know, I, I, that came to me, that thought, and I've, I've tried to live by that uh, because, you know, it, there, there's this balance of, okay, we have to um, not be in large groups. We have to, you know, stay at home as much as possible. But yet there are still needs out there that have to be met. A lot of those needs you can meet from a distance, but there are some things that you still have to, have to do hands-on. And so there's that balance between social distance and social compassion. Well, you compassion. had used the, the phrase in conversations before of, of physical distance versus social distance, yeah, kind of changing that phrase. Yeah, there's a move to, to replace social distance and put physical distance in its place because you're not really talking about being socially isolated. You're just talking about being apart. Um, and, you know, and so my wife and I, we've been walking a lot, and uh, our, our granddaughter's been with us, and, uh, but it's just odd when you're walking through the park and, um, and somebody else is walking this way how when you, you, know, you end up going way out of your way to go around each other. And that, that, yeah. that it seemed, used to be rude, and now it's just yeah, customary. Yeah, and it still seems rude to me, but it's, yeah. like, and, and it's like, okay, do we, what do we say? Do we still say hi? What, what do we do? Or, or do we completely ignore <laughs> oh, each other? Do the bad breath. Oh. Yeah, and I think the intention is stay separated, but still say hi. You know, so physical distance, not social distance, uh, is a good way of putting it. And so before we look at those statements, what I want to do today is look at the nature and character of the church, um, and because that's really, you know, these statements were given to the church, and so what's the nature and the character of the church? This would be a good reminder of us, I think, uh, today, especially during this, during this time, and so there's three words that I want to talk about today that kind of summarize the nature and character of the church. There's no way you can do a, a, a a real complete study on this in one in one lesson, but just kind of three words and those to keep in mind. And the three words are Christ, uh, community, and mission. So when it comes to the nature and character of the church, there's Christ, there's the community, and then mission. And those are the three things that I want to talk about uh, today. And so the first would be Christ. Um, Jesus Christ ordained and established the church. You know, the church is called the body of Christ. We're to be the hands and feet of Christ. And so Jesus established and, and put the church um, into motion. And he did this in Matthew chapter 16. And most of the scripture that are, will be on the screen today, but there's two passages of scripture that are a little bit longer, and so I'm just going to read them. Uh, Matthew 16, if you want to open up your Bibles or open up your phones to that or your iPads or however it is that you read the Bible, 
and uh, and then go ahead and get ready. Eventually, we'll look at Acts chapter 2. Those will be the two passages that we look at, but then there's a lot of other scriptures, but those scriptures will be uh, on the screen, all right? So this is a familiar passage in Matthew 16 where Jesus was walking with his uh, disciples, and they come to a place near Caesarea Philippi um, where there, there were kind of natural springs and grotto, mountain water. And so in my mind, the way I imagine it is they've been walking for a long time. Now they're in a, a cool, temperature-wise cool place where there's water, and they, they take a break uh, to refresh themselves. And then Jesus has this conversation with them where he asks, you know, who do people say that I am? And so that's how it begins, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, which would have been interesting because John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. They were contemporaries. Uh, they were about the same age, maybe, you know, nine months apart or something like that. Um, and uh, John the Baptist had been recently beheaded by Herod. And, and so now they were saying, well, he's John the Baptist. Uh, not so much John the Baptist reincarnated, I don't think, but there was a, a theory uh, that uh, Herod, who who was responsible for having John the Baptist beheaded, when he heard Jesus speak, he thought that it was John the Baptist come back from the dead. Uh, be that John, the John Baptist spirit went into uh, Jesus. And so Herod, Herod was, was a little bit afraid of Jesus because he, was, he felt guilty for what he had done to John the Baptist. He didn't want to do that. He was tricked into doing it. Um, and, uh, and so now here is this Jesus who he's thinking, this is John the Baptist come back to haunt me. Basically, and so and so that that phrase, um, some people say John the Baptist may have been a direct thing back to well, you know, Herod says you're John the Baptist, All right? So John the Baptist. Um, others say Elijah, which would have been a reincarnation or at least the spirit of Elijah. Jeremiah, the same way, another prophet that was mentioned, or just one of the prophets. And so the point was, Jesus says, "What are people saying about me?" And the disciples were saying, "Well, everybody thinks that you're a prophet, that you're a great teacher, that you're someone who needs to be listened to." And, uh, but that wasn't enough because Jesus is far more than that. And so then Jesus turned the conversation around and he said, but what about you? Who do you say I am? So forget about what other people say. What do you say about Jesus? And that's really an important lesson for all of us. It doesn't really matter what other people say about Jesus. What really matters is what do you say about Jesus? And so who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And by Christ there, Christ is his title. It means Messiah. It's a, it goes back to the Old Testament, the one promised by God to Abraham, and then all the prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. And so Simon was saying, you are Jesus the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, this is verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And so this divine revelation. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And so there it is. Uh, Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to build my rock. I'm going to build my church on this rock. Um, now, Simon Peter was his name. So Jesus wasn't changing his name. Uh, a lot of the Jews had two names in that day. One would be the Hebrew name. One would be uh, the Gentile name. Paul is an example of that. Paul's name wasn't changed from Saul to Paul. He was known as Saul while he was while he was. Um, you know, a leader in the Jewish movement. And then when he became the apostle to the Gentiles, he took on his Gentile name of Paul. And so Simon's the same way. And he says, Simon Peter answered. And then Peter, the, the Greek word is Petros, which means rock. And so there's a play on word here. 
uh, Simon, you are now this rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, that's an interesting, this is an interesting verse in Scripture because it, it's really the dividing point uh, between um, Catholics and Protestants. Now, both Catholics and Protestants believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. There's agreement on that. But when it comes to the nature and character of the church, that's where the disagreement comes into play. As Protestants, we say the rock on which the church was built was Peter's confession of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the church is built on Jesus Christ and that confession of faith. Uh, Catholicism will, will say that what Jesus was saying was, I'm going to establish my church and it's going to be built on you, Peter. You are the rock, and so you become, he becomes the first pope, so to speak. And every pope after him gets their authority uh, from Peter. They're in, they're in the line of Peter. And so the question is, uh, is the church supposed to be built on the confession of faith of who Jesus is? Or is the church supposed to be built on this hierarchical uh, system uh, that became the, the Catholic church? And so, and so, but again, there's, there's agreement between both Catholics and Protestants on who Jesus is. It's just a matter, it's just what is the nature and the character of the church. And we believe that what Jesus was referring to uh, was that um, the confession of faith, that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, the son of the living God, that confession of faith is what the church um, is built on. But either way, after that, Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so nothing's going to stop the church. Now, the local expression of the church may change. Um, you know, I, I, I tell people the seven churches in Revelation, those particular local churches don't exist anymore. And so local churches go through a, a process of birth, growth, maturity, reproduction, death. But the church as a whole, nothing will ever stop that. And so um, no governmental powers can stop that. No um, natural disaster, no pandemic, nothing can stop uh, the church. We have that promise. And, and so the gates of hell cannot come against the church. And then verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then in verse 20, he says something interesting, and this is a whole other sermon. But he says, then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he is the Christ, the Messiah. And so that has to do with the resurrection and when Jesus would announce it, you know, his, when he's raised from the dead, now it's clear that he's the Messiah. And so until then, they weren't supposed to tell him. We're supposed to tell everybody that rules Jesus, changed. yeah, the rules have changed. We're supposed yeah. to tell everybody that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the foundation of the church uh, right there. And so Jesus established the church. Um, Colossians 1.18 says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy. And that's important because basically whatever we do as a church has to be about Jesus. He has the supremacy in all things. Now, by church, we really mean two things. And, um, I, you know, I'll use these two um, interchangeably. But basically, when you talk about the church, you're talking about the universal church, which is, um, all Christians of all ages, past, present, and future, they're part of the church. Um, and the word Catholic means universal. So really the Catholic church is saying we're the universal church. Um, and so the universal church, but then also the local church, which is, which is you know, Franklin Community Church or whatever church that, that you attend, that's the local church. Um, most of the time in the New Testament, when, when um, especially Paul, when he talks about the church, he's talking about that local expression. You know, so to the church in in, in uh, Galatia, to the church in Rome, to the church, you know, in, in whichever church he was talking about. 
and then in Revelation to the seven churches, and, and they're, they're all identified by their locality, so the local church. Uh, but either way, the, when, when you say church, you're really encompassing both of, those, uh, both of those ideas. But regardless if it's the universal church or the local expression of the church, from the beginning to the middle to the end of the church, it's all about Jesus. Uh, the church is the body of Christ, which means that we are continuing to do the work that Jesus started. If you want to know what the church is supposed to be doing, well, then you just look at the life of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Well, then that's what we do. And Jesus, I think, made it clear in, in a couple of passages, Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats are really our marching orders. Of this is what we are supposed to be doing uh, as a church. Um, and so because we're just to continue to do what Jesus did, which is proclaim the kingdom of God is here, repent and believe the good news, and then, and then, you know, preach to the poor, set the prisoner free, uh, welcome the immigrant, um, you know, um, heal the sick, visit the sick, visit the prisoner, all those kind of things. That's what we are to be doing um, as a church. And that's what you're saying is, is Christ-centered, is making something, yes. making a church Christ-centered. Yeah, so because everything, everything that the local church does needs to be Christ-centered. Yeah. You know, and what's happened, and, and this is not meant to be critical, it's just kind of a fact, and, and I've been a pastor for 30 years, so if I say this, I'm talking about myself as much as anyone else, uh, that if we're not careful, we become building-centric, uh, which I think uh, we've seen the fallacy of that. You know, it's, it's uh, um, you drive around town and you see these church buildings, and they've basically been empty for a month, you know. uh, but the church is still going on. You know, so, so we're not to be building-centric, we're not to be program-centric, which is um, you know, a church, you go to church because they have the particular programs that you like. Um, well, no, it, the church isn't about programs. Um, programs are to reflect Christ. You know, so uh, we're not to be building-centric or program-centric or budget-centric, you know, where, where everything's about the bottom line. Um, and, and if something, you know, is, is really, really difficult in the church to, to balance that expenses versus investments, uh, you know, kind of thing. Um, but but if we're not careful, we let the the budget dictate what we do, yeah. and that's not supposed that's not how it's supposed to be done. Uh, we can become we can become pastor centric, personality centric. In other words, where people like this particular church because the pastor has has because of the personality of the pastor. If that pastor was never the pastor anymore, um, then, you know, then the people would leave to go to the next dynamic, charismatic uh, person. And so we we put all these other things into place, and maybe one of the things during this time of uh, isolation uh, as we reflect on our own relationship with Christ and what it means to be the church. We're learning and being reminded that the church is about Jesus. It's not about anything else. Um, it's not about the ministries that you do out in the community. It's not about budgets. It's not about programs. It's, it, the church is about Jesus, and we have to be Jesus-centric uh, from that. And so that's the reminder. So before we start talking about the one another statements, let's remember that all of this is about being like Christ yeah. from that. Well, for the listeners, if you're listening live right now and want to uh, comment on your your thoughts on this, what it, what does it mean to be Christ-centered? Have you seen good examples? Have you seen not not so good examples? Um, what have this what have the struggles been in your life? Feel free to discuss there on on Facebook, YouTube, um, and after the fact, if you want to tweet questions, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But let's let's go ahead and yeah, move well to your next point. Yeah. So that's Christ. Uh, the second word is community. Yeah. You know, as we think about the nature and character of the church. And again, by community, we mean the two aspects of community. 
Uh, and uh, this may not be the best way to say it, but for our purposes, hopefully this will help, help us remember. Uh, first, there's the internal community, and that's fellowship. And uh, the Greek word that I want to talk about in a minute is koinonia, uh, because that type of, the type of fellowship in the church is different from fellowship anywhere else. Um, and so there's this internal community where you're supposed to be building a community, but then there's the external community, and that's the outward approach. Um, that's the neighborhood. And so, and so when you say the nature of the church is community, you're talking about the fellowship within and the neighborhood without. Um, and so you're talking about building community as you reach your community. Um, and, and, and so that's kind of the idea. And we'll talk about the external community, the neighborhood, when we talk about mission, because that's really what the mission is. And so let's back up to this community and talk about the fellowship. Um, or again, the Greek word is koinonia, this internal community, this what happens um, within, within the church. See, the church is to be a safe place uh, where people, and really all people, uh, can find a sense of purpose and belonging. You know, the doors of the church should be wide open and welcome anyone who wants, who wants to come in, uh, regardless of status, regardless of, of, uh, of race, or income, regardless of anything. You know, the, the church is a place where they, they need, where they need to, to, to be felt safe. Now, it doesn't mean they're not going to be challenged, and it doesn't mean that they're not going to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit about things that they're doing in their life, but they know that it's a place where they are still loved unconditionally um, as they're growing in their relationship um, with, with Jesus Christ. And so uh, the church is to be a family. Now, in the New Testament, interesting enough, especially when you get to the book of Revelation, this idea of the church being a family is important. And in other parts of the world today, it's still important because, you know, if you um, became a Christian and, um, and you said in the New Testament, Jesus is Lord, what you were saying is Caesar is not, you, you could very well be ostracized from your family, and so your family would disown you. And so the idea of the church being family became extremely important. And again, it's the same way today in different parts of the world uh, where um, other religions are dominant, and then when somebody becomes a Christian, they're, they're kicked out of their family, so to speak. And so then the church becomes the family. And, um, you know, there's an old saying that I like that says, you know, as a family, what that means is you can choose your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives. And we don't see that a lot in churches today because we're, we're so consumeristic. And, again, maybe one of the things that we're learning during this time is that. And so if the church is a family, that means that when I unite with the church and I commit to a church, then I'm supposed to stay with that church through the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, I, I don't leave that church once something bad happens, just like I can't really leave my family. You know, I'm stuck with my family, um, you know, and all families have that weird uncle, but, but I'm still stuck with, with that. And so there, there's this commitment that we are to make to the church that I think sometimes is lacking because now it's about my needs, uh, what, where's the best programming for my kids, you know, who has the best music or who has the best whatever. And, uh, and so people jump around from church to church to church to church um, instead of this is my family and, uh, and we're going to be in this together. Uh, from you know from that and so you can choose your friends but you're stuck with your family so i've been guilty of that i mean i've over the years have church shopped or you've probably seen that funny video of the church hunters you know with like the house hunters you go out there and yeah and you you handpick this worship just wasn't right and you know you go through different phases and i was single for a lot of years and then i have kids and so then you got to look at things differently there but i you know in my old age now I've, i've kind of seen yeah, you, you do kind of have to commit to a, a your community and just say, hey, this is this is these are the people that I love, good, bad, or ugly. 
and I'm good, bad, or ugly on any given day. They got to love me when I'm not lovable. Um, so, yeah, you got to find that church that you just want to Yeah, and, that, and that's that internal, and that's really the idea of koinonia, um, this idea of fellowship. The, that Greek word koinonia in the, in the New Testament is usually translated fellowship. Not all the time, but it's usually translated fellowship. But it has a far deeper meaning than our understanding of fellowship. You know, for us, fellowship is um, oftentimes surface level. We go and we have coffee with people. To be honest, in, in our culture, a lot of the things we call fellowship are really transactional. We're, you know, we, we call it networking. <laughs> you know, so I want to have fellowship, but I'm really networking because it's not what you know, but who you know. And so we try to have a broad network, but we never really go much deeper than than that surface area, and that's just kind of part of our culture. Um, but but that's not really fellowship, or at least it's not koinonia fellowship. It may be a nice time of fellowship, but it's not it's not what the Bible means uh, when it uses that word. Um, you see, in reality, there is no equivalent English word for the word koinonia. So you can try fellowship. Other times, it's translated communion. Um, but since there's really there's there's not an equivalent, um, then you have all these different meanings, but no one meaning, real, no one word really captures the meaning of what that Greek word koinonia uh, was really trying to get across. And so the idea of koinonia is communion or community. And if you think about it, there's a relationship between those words. We have communion every week when we used to have church, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I can remember when in my thought processes of coming back to restart the church and, and the decision was made, we're going to have communion every week, which from a Baptist tradition is not what you did. Uh, part of it in my thinking was, wait a minute, the word community and the word communion are closely related. They're almost the same. Communion, community. And so communion means common unity. So the common unity that we have in Christ is what gives us community. And that's really the idea of, of, of this word uh, koinonia. Uh, the, the, the word koinonia has to do with the, with the sharing of an experience and sharing in an experience that brings people together. This is a horrible illustration, but I think it helps get to the point. If you have soldiers who have fought in combat today, together, they have shared in and they have shared, you know, they have that shared experience of combat and shared experience in combat. Then they may be separated for years, but if they ever see each other again at a reunion, there's this immediate camaraderie because of what they shared in, you see. And so that's community. Uh, and so in the same way then as, as Christians, we have shared in the suffering of Christ. We have shared with the faith of Christ. We have this shared experience in Christ that brings us into community uh, and fellowship. And so you can travel all over the world. And um, if you're a Christian and you, and you walk into a church or you meet other Christians, there's just this automatic camaraderie because of that shared experience of that. And so it's the, the idea of community, this internal community, is this deep, deep um, fellowship where you, where you are doing life together, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you know that, you know, I got your back, you got my back. We're, we are in this together, and we're in this for the long run. And so if, if, if we have a disagreement, if we have a, a misunderstanding, if we have an argument, we're going to work through it because we have committed ourselves to each other because of our shared experience uh, in Christ. And so koinonia is, is the sharing of life together because of our shared lives in Jesus Christ. That's just kind of a quick, short definition uh, of it. And so it's this deep sense of commitment because of our 
common unity with Christ. Here's some, here's some passages of Scripture, and these will be on the screen of some verses, and I've underlined uh, and capitalized the word fellowship to point out that the Greek word that's used there is koinonia. And, and these three verses, I picked them because they do kind of give a different twist or just a different angle of what the fellowship is talking about. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And that's the communion aspect of service. And so this, this fellowship, what brought them together uh, was the act of communion and prayer. So they devoted themselves, and now they had this fellowship because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I really like this one because what it says is, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And then this whole phrase is really the idea of koinonia. Um, it says, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing. And that's really what koinonia, you're having this fellowship because of this shared experience. But what Paul says is this fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. You know, and, and like it or not, sometimes it's suffering that brings us together. It's suffering that brings us closer to Christ and it's suffering that brings us close to each, to each other. And so Paul said, I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And then in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and so as we're following Jesus, we have fellowship with one another. There's that, that idea of that shared experience again. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And so it is this type of community, koinonia fellowship, that is really the cornerstone of Franklin Community Church. And what I mean by that is that we're far from perfect. We're nowhere near that, but that's kind of the driving thing. When we say Franklin Community Church, we're not just talking about that we're a church in the city of Franklin, but we're talking about we are trying to build this koinonia fellowship, this, this community um, inside of our church. And so community means doing life together. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, I'd be curious, like, to the, to the listeners as well, to yourself, you know, just based on personal experience, uh, arguably, I think I've been drawn closer to God in the in the worst times of my lives, in, in the suffering and all of that. And But when I was in my 20s, and, you know, it was in my early 20s that I came to faith, and I would, I would be curious to ask, you know, an 80-year-old, a 90-year-old, if you can break it down into percentages, like in, in your fellowship, in your Christian walk, in your life, what percentage was warm and fuzzy fellowship and what percentage was the suffering fellowship? Just to kind of have a realistic expectation of, of what life is. Because I think I came into faith thinking, uh, you know, like probably a lot of people, you've got that honeymoon period and you've got that, this is going to be positive and great and I'm, I'm going to love people and and then life hits you in the teeth, and you go, "Oh man, this is this is tough. This is this is hard." But maybe that's what it was supposed to be all along. So what what does that you know what for yeah. you? It's just a long question, but in in your walk, what what would you say has been the majority versus the minority, and and how has that kind of shaped? Yeah, well, you know, I don't know if my situation is unique or not, but I think. Again, I think part of it is, is our background, part of it is our culture, where it is so hard to go into a deep relationship with, with a lot of people. Um, and so, but yet it is through those sufferings. I mean, I think about, uh, you know, some of my own um, um, conflicts that I've had in ministry, especially early on in my, in my late 20s, 
and and the people in the church, some of them who are still with me all these years later, okay, they they walked through me, they walked with me during that hell really of of just nothing going right and being attacked from all sides and it's a long 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 story, uh, but yet you know okay so now these people they were part of our church they're still part of our church they were with me and so that shared experience has brought us closer together that that you know what if 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 something were to happen and um and uh and and then I've walked with them one th- one advantage of pastoring a church for a long period of time is that you do walk through these tough times with people and it's kind of like when you walk through those tough times with people be it a sickness or a death or a loss of a job or or a, a, a child, you know, a teenager who's going through difficult times, and you, and you walk with that family together through that, and then when you go through times, they walk with you through that. Well, those bonds can't be broken, because, and, and that's the church. But if every time there's trouble, we jump from one place to another, then, then we never, you know, we, we never, if you don't stay in the tunnel, you never see the other side. You know, so you, you, got, you got to just... Just walk through that dark time, and then when you come out on the other side, you don't ever want to go through that again, but you're thankful that you went through it, and you're thankful for the people who went through it with you, and then they become um, your community, you know, and, and, um, and so I know that if, if, if I make a mistake, they're not just going to abandon me right away, and if they make a mistake, they know I'm not going to abandon them right away. We're going to work through this together. We're going to walk through this now, but to be honest, it's really hard have that community in large settings it really is and so if you're part of a large church you've got to get into a smaller group in order to build that you know and that's I think in our consumeristic culture that's sometimes what we we want to go for the big show but we don't really want to get down and dirty and get um, like for example one of the one another statements um, that we'll look at is um, confess your sins to one another well, now, who in the world wants to do that? Yeah. You know, and you have got to have a pretty deep relationship with somebody in order to say, yeah, I need to let you know, man, I, you know, we're taught to confess it to God, and that's all you need to do. But the Bible says confess your sins to one another. Yeah. Well, if I only see you on Sundays, I'm not confessing my sins to you. But if we're doing life together, well, I was raised Catholic, so it's got to be a small compartmental room with a <laughs> wall between me and the other guy. I don't want to see his face. I just want to hear his voice through a screen. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and so, again, I, I, part of this, I'm, we're really going down a rabbit hole here, but, but um, a big part of our culture is transactional. We, we do things, for, you know, so we want this job because of the money and the benefits. It, it, everything is transactional. That's one of the negatives of capitalism is that everything is transactional when what the Bible talks about is transformational, you know. And so um, let's do life together, and, um, um, and at the end of the day, we can look back and see how we have transformed each other's lives because we're committed to each other and we're committed to following Christ. Well, even and Jesus had a 12-person small group. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so, so it, you know, we have to fight that all the time. Let's be transformational people, not transactional people. Uh, and that's really uh, a part of community. You know, community is transformational, not transactional. At least the idea of koinonia fellowship, the, uh, that idea is transformational, not, not transactional. Uh, all right? So we've looked at Christ. We've looked at community. And, uh, and now uh, we'll talk about mission, which is really that external community, that we don't keep everything to ourselves, 
you know, if we only grow inward, then it's like an ingrown toenail. It hurts after a while. You know, we have to grow outward as well. We have to, uh, to be the, 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 um, the hands and feet of Jesus, so, so our neighborhood. And one, again, one of the things that maybe God is doing during this time, I don't claim to be a prophet on this, but one of the things maybe he's doing is that at the end of all this, maybe there's going to be a return back to more community churches. And what I mean by that is neighborhood churches, churches in the neighborhood, because all of us are guilty of, um, you know, we find a church that we like, and we drive by dozens of churches on, on the way to the church that we like, um, whereas, you know, the church started in homes, and the church was community you know, Christ-centered but community-driven, kind of like what can we do for the needs that are all around us. And so that's kind of the idea uh, of mission. Uh, as an organization or an organism, the church is unique in that it, in that it exists for those who are not part of the church. And so in other words, the church exists for people who don't go to church. Now, as a pastor, it took me a long time to realize that. Uh, because, you know, there would be people who don't come to my church and don't go to anybody's church, but the moment they had a need, they'd call me. And I'm like, well, you don't go to my church, you know. And then, to, But to say, wait a minute, Kevin, that's not really, the church exists for the people who don't go to that church. Um, and, so, and so that's the idea of mission right there. Even during this time of social distancing, we are still called to be the church on mission, meeting the needs the best that we can. And for some people, that may be more hands-on during this time than others. Uh, and, but still, meeting the needs uh, the best that we can. And, so, and that's the idea of social distance and social compassion. There are some things um, that you just cannot do from a distance. I think one of the most cruel things going on right now is that people are getting sick and they're going to the hospital and then they're dying. And the whole time they're in the hospital and dying, their family can't be with them. I mean, that, because it's What? There's some things that just cannot be done from a distance, and grief cannot be done from a distance. Um, you know, giving someone a cup of cold water cannot be done from a distance. You know, um, and and so that's we got to balance that. We got to balance that somehow. And so, what is our mission at at Franklin Community Church? We describe our mission as being real. And do you remember those days when we had church? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back in what was it? <laughs> February of 2020. Uh. A long, 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 time, long ago, time ago, when we would Decades. meet, when we would meet for church, we had these things called newsletters that we gave out. Yeah. And on the front of the newsletter was our mission and our vision. And so I'm, I'm referring back to that. If you have one of those ancient artifacts, look it up, and you can see uh, where I'm coming from here. And so our mission is to be real, and the R E A L stands for something. And so it's reach our community for Christ, equip one another for ministry, adore God through worship. Then love each other unconditionally and learn God's word. So that's, you know, we want to be real. Now that kind of comes out of our vision because the key word in our vision is authenticity. And so our vision as a church is to enable Middle Tennesseans to experience authentic relationships with God and each other by establishing an Acts 2 uh, biblical community. And we're going to look at Acts 2 here in just a few seconds. But before we get to that, uh, basically, you know, we, we're saying Acts 2 biblical community, uh, but there's really... Three, if you want to know our philosophy as a church, there's really three passages of Scripture uh, that kind of undermine what we do and why we do it. One is Acts chapter 2, mainly verses 42 through 47, which I'll read here in a few moments. But the other two passages I referred to earlier, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, where Jesus returns to his hometown synagogue and he's given the prophet Isaiah to read and preach from. 
And so he preaches his first sermon, and that the passage in Isaiah was the job description of the Messiah. You know, I've been anointed to preach good news to the poor, uh, to set the prisoner free, uh, to give the blind sight, uh, uh, you know, to deliver the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sat down, and he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. He was saying, I'm the Messiah, and they wanted to stone him right then. <laughs> but, but, but that passage, those things that he says in 18 and 19, verse, chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 of Luke, are what we're supposed to be doing. Because we're, we are now the body of Christ. We're Christ incarnate in the world today. And then in Matthew 25, Jesus gives, um, to me, one of his most important parables, the parable of the sheep and the goats, in verses 31 through 46 of that chapter. And it's the only time in, in Scripture where Jesus makes a direct comparison and says, this is who's in, this is who's out. So this is who goes to heaven, this is who goes to hell. And, um, and it had everything to do with how you're meeting the needs of the people around you, especially those on the margins of society. Um, you know, are you caring for the poor? Are you clothing the naked? Are you, are you housing the homeless? Are you visiting the sick? Are you visiting the prisoner? Are you welcoming the immigrant? If you do those things, you're a sheep. If you give a cup of cold water in my name, you're a sheep. You're in. If you don't do those things, you're a goat. You're out. You know, and, and, and that's it. It wasn't a work salvation by any means he was preaching. He was just saying, if you are a follower of me and you claim to be a sheep, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And I've preached from that before, and I've said if I could ever make a template of Matthew 25 of what the church is supposed to be doing and put that template on the programs in most churches, um, how would they match up? And, and I think they wouldn't completely match up because we're doing other things that are all good things, uh, but we're neglecting the important things that Jesus said about justice and mercy and so forth. Uh, from that. And so Acts chapter 2, Luke chapter 14, Matthew 25 are really foundational uh, to our mission uh, as a church uh, from that. So anyway, so let's stop there, see if you got any, anything before we conclude. But anything you want to add? No, I mean, it, it, in the conversation today, it kind of struck me uh, when Jesus says, well, you know, they all say this, and or the disciples are saying, yeah, they say you're John the Baptist, or they say you're Elijah, they say you're this. And he says, well, who do you say I am? Um, kind of hits me on, well, you're, you know, you guys are the ones that have been hanging out with me every day. You spend from the time you get up and go to bed with me every day. We're going everywhere. Like, what do you say? Not the people who I pass through their town for the weekend or they heard one sermon or they're hearing rumors. So it's like that, that struck me on, for me, my opinion of, all right, who is who is God? What am I basing it on? Am I basing it on the fact that I'm spending my days with him? I'm putting in the, the effort and the, the, you know, the sweat equity with him? Or am I just basing it on, well, I just read this one article or I saw that one church service from afar? And so I'm, I feel a little convicted on that, on the amount of time that I, that I spend and just go, all right, so then my existing view of God or the character of God, is it based on... on you know, lots of <laughs> time and effort into that relationship, or is it just based on really minimal viewpoints of it? Yeah, and there you have it. That's a whole lot better sermon than what I've done the last <laughs> however long. No, I mean, that, that's a very good point. What am I basing my opinion of Jesus on? And, uh, and so now it might be to take it a step further. What am I basing my opinion of the church on? Sure. You know, because now at the church is the living expression of Christ today. Am I basing my impression of the church on what I've heard or what I think it should be? Or am I basing it on what Jesus has called the church to be? Which I think is where these one another statements become so important. 
you know, that if we do these things, uh, then we're fulfilling um, the uh, what what Christ wants us to fulfill. So that's a excellent thought, and I hope all of y'all heard that and and you're internalizing that yourself and asking yourself those questions. So let's wrap this up. During this pandemic, many people, many people, rightfully so, uh, have commented that the church is not a building; it's the people. I remember. Those first couple of weeks when churches were not having services, that was all over the Internet, all over Facebook. The church is not the building. The church, the church is people, not the building. And, uh, and that is true. That's, that's an incredible truth. Um, but, I, but I wonder, okay, do they really know what they're saying? You know, and, and do they really uh, believe that? Because the truth of how much we really believe that, the church is not a building, will be seen in how quickly we return to our church buildings and programs as soon as this a shelter-in-place order is lifted. If we immediately run back into the building and do the same things we were doing back in January and February, then we didn't really believe the church is not the building, uh, you know. And so, um, and so that that's just something to, to think. I think that we need to think through. Um, my prayer is that all of us who claim to follow Christ will use this time away from the church building to reconsider and reprioritize what it really means to be the church. You see, And this is just kind of a summary of what I've tried to say today. The church is the body of Christ that continues the work Jesus started by centering everything on Jesus, building community within and without while bringing other people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the nature and the character of the church is based on Christ, community, and mission. And so with that said, let me read Acts chapter 2. We referred to it a, a few times, and, and in our own vision statement, this is the scripture that's mentioned in Acts 2, uh, biblical community. And so um, <clears throat> let me just read this. This is Acts chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. There's that word, koinonia. To the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders, and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so you had a church um, that was making a difference, uh, a church that had favor of the people instead of people saying, oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites because they were in deep fellowship with one another, uh, sharing communion, studying the Bible, eating in each other's homes, and, uh, and meeting the needs of the people around them, selling all they had to give to the poor. But what's interesting is, for the first 300-plus years of church history, the church grew and flourished at times during persecution without a building. They didn't have a building. They, they would rent space. They would meet in public places. Uh, but for 300-plus years, the church transformed their world um, without a physical structure of their own. And so one of, the, one of the main reasons they were able to grow and flourish, I think, was because they lived out these one another principles. That's what caused them to do these things. And, um, 
and people didn't understand why they were doing it. And in a weird way, persecution started because they were upsetting the social order of the day by taking care of the poor and by loving one another and by forgiving each other and all those things. And so I think that we can flourish during this time if, if we, as a church, uh, commit ourselves to be intentional about putting these one another phrases into practice. And we can do that while social distancing. We can be more like the church during this time uh, than we are uh, when we go back and, uh, and start meeting regularly uh, together again. And I, and I hope that's what we can learn over the next several weeks. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we can not only create a new normal, but a better normal. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this, this series. So thank you, uh, listeners, for, for watching and for listening on the podcast. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, uh, feel free to, to post them and we'll, we'll find them. You can email uh, Pastor Kevin at Kevin at, at FranklinCommunityChurch.org. Yep, and you can find him on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin. Kevin. And have a blessed week. We'll see you next time. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin.